Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Well, how about that? You made it, folks. Thank you so much for sticking with me. Uh, I apologize vigorously for Monday's snafu. Uh, it was a mess. The sound quality, the uh, there was just a bunch of stuff all messed up, and and uh, I decided just to bag it and do it right rather than piecemeal it together. And we found out it was a problem with uh, Blog Talk Radio. They they were uh, it was as I thought. They were beta testing a new system uh, to generate better sound quality and all that stuff, better experience for the host and the listener. And unfortunately, that did not happen. So we are back to uh, broadcasting over Skype audio. And uh, I think that's best. I mean, until they get it all ironed out, that's the best. So I appreciate your patience. And, and uh, for all of you joining, I'm looking at the the list here. And numbers are popping up. Not numbers, but people popping up all over the place, all over the world. So I'm honored that you would do it. I'm, I'm back from the great state of Ohio. By the way, you've reached the collision of faith and politics. Dr. Sean, Dean Ninja Pastor. I'm back from the great state of Ohio after laying to rest a dear West Virginia lady, Patsy Fisher, or granny to most folks, including my son Doyle. By the way, shout out to the folks at um, Patriot Academy there in Dover, Delaware. They're at the, uh, the state legislature right now. They've taken it over, and they're doing great things. Uh, these kids are awesome. The leaders are awesome. The people have dedicated their lives to helping us have the very best uh, generation to take over, uh, and then Patriot Academy is an amazing thing. A big shout out to my great friend uh, and, and true brother. Uh, he is uh, just a, a super, super guy doing amazing things. Rick Green from Wall Builders. He is going to be on the show, not today, but very, very soon, uh, and uh, we're looking forward to it. So he's been on before, and and you know he's big fun for a lot of people. He's he's just an awesome guy. And so uh, so I was in Ohio, and, and I'm telling you, the people in Ohio, the Fisher family, I just, I'm so thankful for your love and your great hospitality during our stay uh, to lay Granny to rest. It was, it, what a beautiful, beautiful day. Oh, my goodness. It was just so beautiful. Um, the, the hospitality was really a combination of Ohio, West Virginia, and, uh, and also German hospitality, uh, Aunt Beati. Uh, she made sure we were fed, and you know, anybody that knows me knows I like to eat, and I had some good food. There were some great volunteers making some amazing things, but um, there's a lot of conservative folks in Ohio, by the way. Big shout out to Steve 
um, I want to thank you for uh, being so welcoming and encouraging, and and it was great to meet you and and so many others. I mean, my goodness, this show I could make this show about all the great people I met, and I know that a bunch of them are listening. Um, I got to see my awesome and wonderful nieces, Lana and Heidi. I got to spend time with just a whole bunch of people. The extended family there, just they're awesome people. Also, I got to hear my niece Raven O'Reilly and her band Raven O'Reilly Undone performed, and they were excellent. It was a lot of fun. We packed the joint. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a warm crowd. And the place was packed. And we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs, and and uh, so it was good to good to spend that time. It was a good way, a really good way, to uh, you know, you bury somebody, and then all of a sudden you have to somebody that matters to you like that and then all of a sudden just hours later um you are singing and trying to do this music thing and and it, it is an absolutely amazing it's an amazing thing honestly it's just amazing by the way next time uh, I go to Ohio I'm going to have my niece Lana cut very little bit just a tiny bit but shape my hair up a little bit and you know I like somebody when I let them cut my hair she's an expert hair cutter and hairstylist so uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that actually. So, hey, you, uh, this is something we found out was interesting and totally unplanned. Uh, quite honestly, it, those of you who have my book, Excellence Killed the Church: How Mediocrity is Destroying America. There, you'll notice there's a church on the front. Uh, let me see here. Do I have my copy of my very own book? I well, you know what? I signed it and gave it away. I usually keep a book right here on my. Studio desk, and I have, I have done signed it and gave it away. So uh, anyway, well, not for nothing. I remember what it looks like. Uh, but on the front cover, there's this big old fancy church, and and then um, then the church on the back is this little little old country church. And so, you know, I picked these churches out probably what, three, three and a half years ago. And the church on the front is a church in San Francisco. It's, it's, I say church, I mean, air quotes church. It's, it's really not uh, a great representative of a church because uh, it is, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a nondescript church is what I would say that it is. It's a nondescript church. And, Interestingly, the church on the back, you know, uh, nothing great has come from this church. Nothing great. I, I, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything like that. I'm just saying the uh, – how do I put this without being offensive? The church on the front is really a place people meet. Uh, again, it's in San Francisco and uh their objective there is is certainly not the gospel uh but the church on the back you know but the, you know the church on the front has all kinds of fancy stuff in it i mean it's really 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 you know technologically advanced and big fancy auditorium all this stuff but the little country church in west virginia it's just a little old country church it's clapboard no insulation rickety old windows coal driveway you know it's coal country and what we found out was uh but 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 great great uh preachers and and orators and theologians came from that little tiny church on the back well what we found out is that church is the original now it's not there anymore uh there's a new 
you know, updated building, but the it was the original Witcher Creek Church, which is where Granny, the one uh, that we just laid to rest, Granny's family attended that church when she was little, and there's actually family members now that still attend that church. How crazy is that? Well, I didn't know any of that when I when I selected that. I selected the church because of the amazing. Uh, it's really a dichotomy. Uh, the amazing people that came out of it, and let me. Let me say this, they all credit the same uh, sweet old lady. She, uh, she's just a sweet old lady uh, that was uh, the, and I'm told, fourth grade education, uh, that she would teach anybody that came through. She was pretty much the Sunday school teacher for children. And uh, they had such a great, imp- she had such a great impact on her on them that uh, they changed their lives. I mean, literally changed their lives. Oh, my buddy Philly Bob just sent me pictures of it. He's awesome. I mean, it's asbestos siding actually on the side. Asbestos siding, you know, that, that old, like, I don't know, it's, it's it's a weird, weird thing. And kind of one of the windows is bored up. They still, they still were meeting the proud folks, proud West Virginia folks, uh, but they've updated the church since. But uh, it's just amazing that a lady with a, a fourth grade education, how she, she taught so many people and, and was so influential. Um, really, 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 really uh, just a, a neat thing. I, I mean, you know, like I say, I didn't know that. I, I'm telling you the truth. I had no idea, none whatsoever, that there would be this connection, this original Witcher Creek Church in West Virginia on my book to my family, my, my son's uh, blood family. I mean, it, it, it's just amazing to me. Just amazing. Um I don't, you know, little things don't mean a lot. Little things mean everything. And something sacred hangs in the balance. This is what uh, what Abraham Heschel uh, has said many, many times. Uh, something sacred hangs in the balance of every moment. So I just, you know, I want to thank the folks there. They, they were so hospital, so kind to me, and, and I really, really appreciate it. Um, just awesome. It, it, I want to ask you, um it, what is your when you, when you have funerals? What what are your funerals like? What are your funerals like? I mean, are are, are they are they just terribly tragic and and down and dark and all this stuff, or or is there some brightness, some beauty in it? Uh, you know, I'm so fortunate. As many of my aunts and great aunts and uncles and grandparents and all that stuff, they lived. They lived an amazing life. They lived an absolutely amazing life, and uh, people of just such great, great faith, um, just powerful, just powerful, great faith. I have to say. And when they die, you know, we're, we're, it's tragic. It's terrible. We're we're sad. We're we're heartbroken. But at the same time, they wouldn't change places with us uh, for any amount of money in the world. They they wouldn't because they're in the presence of God. And if you don't have that faith in your life and that practice in your life, uh, you know, funerals will always be uh, just a sad and, and tragic thing. You won't, it, it'll be hard to get past that. It'll be hard to get past it. Well, this group wasn't anything like that. There was a lot of laughter. My goodness, I heard some stories about Granny. Uh, whew, I'm, I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. She was a pistol. Uh, she was 80 years old and, and just a pistol. And so, um, you know, I would encourage you, live your life. Live your life. Live it fully. Don't hold back. Um, 
You know, that we have a ticker in our heart, in our chest, and, and one day that's going to stop, and none of us know when. So the title of today's show, I know it's The Collision of Faith and Politics, but if I was going to title it something different, I would title it, My Name is Dr. Sean Greener, and I'm Running for President. I Approve This Message. And it would be what I'm what I would what I'm all campaign on, campaign on what I'm all campaign on you know, what would I talk about at the debates tomorrow night you know the ten have been chosen uh, but what would I do if I was up on the stage what would I say you know and why what would I do what would I campaign on cam, campaign on and why don't you wish and this is for real y'all don't you wish there were more candidates for president that said what they actually and authentically believed. I'll let you cogitate on that. Don't, I mean, look, I, hey, I'm not stupid. I know, well, I'm somewhat stupid. I'm from Sussex County, but not all Sussex County folks are stupid. I, but I'm, I bump my head on a car going 92 miles per hour. I might have a little bit of a deficit. But let me say this. Uh, I said, I asked you, don't you wish that there were more candidates for president that said what they actually and authentically believed and would defend and intended to be the catalyst to fix this country. Don't you wish that? Uh, you know, in this list, we have some folks like that. We have Ted Cruz. Uh, you know, you guys know I'm fully on board, fully, fully on board. Uh, I like the guy. I think he's a genius. I don't think he's a genius. I know he's a genius. Uh, I know that he is totally and completely committed to uh, helping to save this country. Totally and completely. He's all in. He's all in. But you know what? Uh, and, and I'll tell you what else, too. You say what you want about Donald Trump. He's, he's double the lead. And look, don't believe these polls, by the way. Let, let's just tackle this. Don't believe the polls that say that Jeb Bush is number two. First of all, those polls are a lie. They're a lie. You know they're a lie. You lie. No, you lie. No, they're a lie. They're flat out a lie. You know it. I know it. We all know it. Seriously, folks. We all know that those polls are a flat-out lie. We know it. We know that Trump is definitely double the lead because he's he's killing it. Look, do you know anybody that's going to vote for Jeb Bush? Anybody at all? By the way, I'm hankering for a cheesesteak again. Dang it. And you know what else I want? Thank you to Raven O'Reilly. You know what I really like? I like some fair fries. But I want them done, well, maybe fair fries. I don't know, fair fries or some Thrasher's fries, those who've been there, or Grotto's fries, or no, 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 Nicola's fries. Those people don't even pay me a dime for any advertising, but I'm telling you, I want some fries with some malt, vinegar, and some salt. <clears throat> yes, Lola. Bring it on. That's what I want. That's what I want. A cheesesteak and that. Yeah. Not good for me. I'm not going to have it. I'm not, I'm not going to have it. So, anyway, all that said to say this we, we want people to tell us. The truth. We don't really want people to tell us what we want to hear. Now, there is, there's a segment of society that really and truly, they do want to be told what they want to hear. They, and, and, and that whole segment of society is a society that's waiting for a paycheck in the mail every week or even automatically deposited in their accounts. They're using the Obama phones. They're, they're spending your money like it's their money, and they want no accountability for it. They just want to live however they want, and, and, and just wreck this country. We're allowing it, though. We're allowing it. But I don't think that most good people, most of the people that should be voting, I don't think that they really want 
people running for office or even our current politicians to tell us what they think. You know, we look, we want to know the truth. We want to know what you really believe. And there's one thing you can say about Donald Trump is, look, he doesn't care if he gets elected or not. He'd like to. But he's a billionaire and he's going to continue to be a billionaire. This this is just this run so far has cost him personally a loss of hundreds of millions of dollars through people based on what he said that they said, look, we're not, you know, we, we, we just no, it's not happening. You're not you're not going to talk like that. We're mad at you. You're not politically correct. Well, he doesn't really care. And it's cost him hundreds of millions of dollars. You say, well, he's a billionaire. He can afford to lose it. Well, newsflash, folks. Let's 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 straighten up a little bit. And let's get real and recognize that he didn't get to be a billionaire by not caring about hundreds of millions of dollars. You feel me? You follow me? You follow me? <laughs> he didn't get that that way. He didn't get that by being uh, weak and and just you know throwing money away. You know what I'm saying? That didn't happen. It didn't happen. You know it and I know it. Look, I'm I'm just going to tell you the truth here. We need to be the rescue of our country. But most folks in this country are afraid to truly know the truth, let alone speak and live the truth. You know what I'm saying? To speak and live the truth. We just we we want things to look a certain we want things to look a certain way. But in reality, they're they're just it's dream it's dreamland. It's dreamland. Life is way different. Reality is way different than we're making it out to be. Way different. But we need to be the rescue of our country. We do. We do. Hey, thank you to everybody in chat. Um, you can put your questions there if you like, uh, whatever you like. We're glad to have you joining us there. Tell your friends. Uh, look, I'm not running for president, but if I was, this would be my platform. Today, I'm going to tell you what my platform would be, the how and why. Um, by the way, let me run through this really quickly, and then we're going to bring a special, special guest on. By the way, here here are 10 upcoming show topics uh, that are going to be coming over the next uh, couple of months. Abortion, the history and agenda there. It isn't what you think it is, folks. It's not what you think it is. It, it's not. It's it's not what you think it is. Guns. Who is going to lose their Second Amendment rights first? Who is? Who's going to lose those first? Who's already lost them and doesn't know it? I told you people about uh, disability. Uh, you know, the people on disability, uh, Social Security, disability income, that now the president has said, hey, you know what, we're going to take away, we're going to take away your um, your Second Amendment rights. We're going to take your guns from you. Look, you're disabled. You can't have a gun. <laughs> They're the people that need the gun the worst. Drug, sex, and entertainment. We're the why we're the Weimar Republic and why we're we're Rome. You know that, right? We're Rome. I'm not also, you know what? People ask me this all the time. Uh, how do you get the information you do? Where do you get it? Media sources I like and why. And I'm going to teach you how to get your info, how to get educated. Remember, everybody's got an agenda and a bias. Everybody does. 
I'm going to talk about money. I'm going to have a whole thing. I might, if I can talk Jerry from Pennsylvania to be on here, uh, Jerry is a freaking genius when it comes to monetary uh, policy and, and and things of that nature, and he breaks it down so simple, so simple, and, and it's, it'll be powerful. I'm going to talk him into it. Currency, investing, this thing called Bitcoin, pretend money, real estate, agendas in the global economy, barter. Barter is a powerful tool that we need to be using, but we're not. Health. I'm going to talk about food, drugs, doctors, aging, truth, and research. What's real, what's not. Agendas and demographics. If you don't think that one-sixth of our economy that was seized right under our noses in Obamacare, uh, you got another thing coming, folks. you got another thing coming. I'm going to talk about how our boomers' culture obsession with anti-aging is affecting society. 2016 election, why it doesn't really make any difference at all. Then I'm going to talk about the 2016 election, why it makes a huge difference. And if we don't prevail, I think we're lost. I'm going to talk about, and this is a controversial subject, I'm going to talk about depression and antidepressive and antipsychotic drugs, all this shooting. There was another shooting today in Nashville. I don't have all the details on it, otherwise I'd talk about it, but he's dead, shot by a police officer, somebody with a gun. Cultivation of a postmodern culture of happiness and how drugs designed to address this serve to further an agenda that are fueling our demise. Affecting, look, this is affecting every age, every socioeconomic bracket. It's creating a subset of the population that are at best zombies and at worst really ready to explode into utter violence at any moment. That's going to be a powerful show. It's very controversial. And then I'm going to talk about Generation Z, Generation Net, iGen, the future for the generation in high school right now. Look, college degrees, as Mike Rowe, I'm trying to get Mike Rowe on the show. He's actually a, a somewhat of a friend, uh, but he's such a busy man, as you might imagine. You know, he does uh, dirty jobs and, uh, you know, his, his show on CNN um, that he's doing now. He's really a neat guy, super neat guy. What you see is what you get. He's super smart, tremendous singer, by the way, amazing musical talent. Uh, but really a cool guy, really down-to-earth and real. And he talks about, look, college degrees are too expensive, and they're too ubiquitous. Everybody has them now. I'm going to talk about the economy and world politics in flux. Look, kids today, they don't know a world without technology. They don't know it. They don't know what it's like to not have an iPhone in their hand. How do you prepare your children to survive and thrive in a future that's unlike anything in your experience or in your history? How do you prepare for having your future in their hands. Look, America, I'm, I'm talking to you. And today is the day I call it exactly like it is. If my audience flees, so what? I have, you know what, I have, uh, I don't do this for a career. I foot the bill for everything. Uh, we do have some people that have made some very, very kind donations. And uh, listen, we put it right back into the show. Um, it costs us money to do this. And uh, it's awesome. And, and if you ever listen and you're like, well, I'd like to contribute to that, uh, there's no pressure or anything like that. Go to theninjapastor.com, and there's a donate button. There's a little page there that tells you all about what we're about. And if you're so moved to do that, awesome. I'd I'd love that. Uh, that is, that is powerful. But really and truly, if the audience flees, so be it. We've had we've had uh, publicity folks folks look at this show and say what I should be doing and what I should change and all that stuff. There's a lot of things that they've said. But my goal for this show has always been to bring the unwashed truth into the public arena. I'm not actually running for public office. And I'm I'm fully and completely – look, if you saw how I dress, what a what a nightmare it is to – I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a mess. I don't even 
I put, I look terrible. You just you don't even know. Uh, but I'm I'm not concerned with popularity. I'm concerned. What I'm concerned with really is for this country, the United States of America. You know, I know we're a global economy. We're a global. You know, this is a global existence we're living. But you know what? I care about here. I think it's terrible what's happening in a lot of these other countries, but I care about here. Because we're gasping. We're on our last breath, folks. And we're here in part because of the left's tool of political correctness. We're here because we were talked into being fearful and we were fronted into being quiet. That's reality. That's reality. That's just reality. We were fronted into being quiet. We were talked into being fearful. Look, we got to decide, we got to resolve, and we got to stand. And here's something special I want America to, to remember. I want Listen, America, I want you to remember this. And I, and I want you to go to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash uh, God and Country Radio. Go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. And I want you to leave a message. Tomorrow is the anniversary, August 6th. The tragic anniversary of extortion 17. This is the day. I want you all to remember this day. This is the date that our president and his administration, all the way down to SEAL commanders and commanders of of special warfare in the whole military, orchestrated the death of a helo full of heroes. Full of heroes. Not just, you know, the gold team, Navy SEAL gold team, uh, there, there were Army, Navy, uh, regular Navy, Air Force. They were all heroes, every one. In fact, we, we even lost a, a Navy SEAL dog, million-dollar dog. That's right, million-dollar dog. We lost uh, with Michael Strange, undoubtedly the, the, the best cryptologist in the military. Gone. We lost Aaron Vaughn. We, lo- we lost so many great people. So go there. And send your messages to the families of, of Extortion 17. I know most of them. Uh, in October, I'll be ministering to some of them. Uh, some of them uh, are my friends, uh, really close to their friends. And put your message on there, and I'll make sure they get them. I'll make sure they get them. But we're to remember this day with reverence. Let me say this, and then I'm going to bring on uh, my special, special guest. Um, people have asked me, in fact, right now, my, my uh, message thing is blowing up with questions about, are you going to talk about Cecil the Lion? Um, People have asked me what I think of the hunter, the dentist hunter shooting Cecil the Lion. And since I'm a hunter and all, they know that I am. I'm I'm unapologetic for being a hunter. I'm proud to be a hunter. First, let me be clear, I hunt for food. In Africa, Zimbabwe really in particular, they hunt and eat lions and zebra and giraffe. They do that. They eat tigers and other pretty majestic animals that have not been so named. Without skipping a beat, they do it all the time. Second, I want to be clear. I don't trophy hunt. It just isn't for me. Look, I want. I watch hunting shows. I try to learn. The scenery is amazing. The reverence and respect. See, non-hunters don't understand this. They don't understand this. Um, non-hunters don't understand. I, I don't know how else to say it. And And I try to help them understand if we get into a, a logical, respectful conversation – um, they don't understand. The true conservationists are the, are the true hunters. But we don't want the animals to go away. We want them to be plentiful. We want them to be healthy. We want their environment to be healthy. That's what we want. 
because we want to hunt. We want to provide food for our family as it was intended. But I don't eat, I don't hunt tigers and lions and zebra and giraffe and all that other stuff, named or unnamed. I just don't trophy hunt. It's not for me. I feed my family with what I hunt. As I understand the facts, and there's more facts coming out now, this dentist thought he was legally hunting a lion. He's $55,000, folks. He thought he was paying the certificate, the license to hunt a lion. Not Cecil the lion, but a lion that had been identified by and as a targeted lion by the local constabulary. Now, if you know anything about Zimbabwe, thoroughly and completely corrupt. Thoroughly and completely corrupt. It's absolutely unreal. But he paid his $55,000. He got his hunting license, and he thought he was obeying the law. We don't know all the facts of this case, but we do know that. What we do know also is that the left and many on the right, sad to say, have gone absolutely apoplectic over this line. Yet they're silent on abortion and the spare parts factory going on at Planned Parenthood. Now, you can be upset about both things. I want to be clear about that. Uh, but there's a lot of folks who are so pro, air quotes, choice, so so pro-abortion, yet they're just apoplectic about this lion, this 13-year-old lion. Look, I have a good friend actually from Zimbabwe. He is He's a white African, if you will. There are lots of those, by the way. And they don't own slaves, by the way. So he's from Zimbabwe, and he understands the culture and the worldview in the African wilderness, how it is with the animals, how it is with the people, how it is with the culture. And he tells me that uh, lion and other wild animal hunting is common there. It's common. And frankly, as corrupt as the Zimbabwe government is, this hunter is likely the victim of that corruption. There are so many in social media who want this dinner. Uh, and I'm just going to say this out loud. I'm going to say what he said. There are so many in social media who want this dentist from Minnesota, I think it is, hunt. they want him hunted down and killed. Now, these are the same people that can't manage to find, catch, and kill and process their own food. So I say slow down, pipe down, and slow down Slam Dancer. It, you know, look, threatening this guy's life and wanting to ruin his business and ruin his family, they're all in hiding now, this is ignorant and it's entirely despicable. Whether you agree with trophy hunting or not, it's despicable. And I think the people so ignorantly calling for the death of this man should have to meet him one-on-one -on -one, one day in the wild. Let's see who comes out ahead. My money's on the hunter. Look, I, I hunt deer and turkey. And if ever given the opportunity, I, I desperately want to hunt elk and moose and caribou. I, I really want to do that because I eat what I ethically hunt. And you have to hunt those animals or they overpopulate. They become unhealthy. Trophy hunting, I'm going to say this again, is not for me. But I do know that in most countries that allow trophy hunting, all of the meat goes to local villages and most of the money goes to conservation efforts in those areas. Those people, it's given to the villagers. This is a reality that you don't like, but it's nonetheless true. Now, that said, where, and my buddy from Zimbabwe reminded me of this, he said, where is the outcry when on a weekly basis, Lions and other wild animals in Zimbabwe kill and eat humans. Every week in Africa, human beings are killed and eaten by lions, tigers, oh my. Anthropomorphizing of animals, that's making animals into this sort of a human thing. And everybody knows me and my dog, Buckeye, and so many other animals that I just love. But my little, she's right here, right behind me. She's my little mascot during the show. Um, 
she, she, she's just a sweet, sweet friend. I adore her. She's like a family member. But anthropomorphizing of animals is, and, and you know who started that was Disney. People bad, animals good. This is something that moves us softies in America. But in Africa, it's often the case that either the animal or the human is dinner and the other is the diner. One is dinner and one is the diner. Look, I can't imagine that kind of life. I don't live there. But I also never see myself killing a lion absent of trying to save an innocent person or my dog, my family, from the lion. Make no mistake if the lion... And people say, well, the lion had a tag on it. You know how close you have to be to a lion? They have a giant mane. Do you know how close you have to be to a lion to know it has a tag on it? For Pete's sake, people. But in Africa, it is legal, although in this case, it seems that the Dennis Hunter was duped into a potentially legal hunt. And, and again, I, I want to remind you, for those of you who say, how could he have not seen the collar on this dear, sweet lion? Listen, this was not a tame lion. This was a lion that kills gazelles, living gazelles. It kills other lions. It's killed two other lions in the pride. You know, I encourage you, to just do a check on this, be your last one. With no fence, be in the wild in Africa, get close enough to a lion to check him for a collar or a tracker. You're going to be the dead one. You're going to be the, the dinner. He'll be the diner. You'll be the dinner. Would I endorse this particular hunt? No way. Do I endorse the death threats that this hunter has received? No, not at all. So that's where I stand on that. Listen, today you folks are truly – this is your lucky day. If you've tuned in today, you're going to hear from a guy who I've known for a lot of years. Uh, I liked him instantly when we met so many years ago, and uh, he's just a good, good guy. He's one of the best guys I know. Um, last week, you all responded, by the way, and, and I'm so touched by this. Last week, you all so sweetly responded to my plea for prayers for my buddy Chris. Chris Cahalan, he's going to be on the show in just a minute. I'm reaching out again to almost, I think it's just under 500,000 listeners right now. I'm reaching out to you to pray for my good buddy Chris, who, by the way, he's no mean, by no, you'll see, he's by no means a victim. Um, and his dear wife, Jessica, and his sweet family. I really... Um, I really, I want, I want you to keep doing that. Send your messages to the Facebook page, Twitter if you use Twitter at the Ninja Pastor. Um, it's, um, I don't know. He's just a neat guy. His family, they're neat people. He, Chris is a great husband. He would say no, he's not. He's a great father. He'd say no, he's not. Um, he's a dedicated man of God. He's very humble, but it's reality. He lives by Scripture. He. He he he's hungered and thirsted after God for a long time. He's a great guy in the midst of a great battle against cancer, and and, and I'll just want you to I'm just going to say it's uh, pancreatic cancer. This is a battle I trust God to win. I know Chris is tough enough, and I know his faith is unwavering. I know God is able to do that which man can't imagine. And Chris, before my audience uh, and every, you know everybody listening now and everybody that's going to download this, as we, we have a lot of people listen live and then we have a lot of people uh, that download these through their smartphones, their computers, all that stuff, um, which is awesome. It's just thank you so much for doing that. Uh, while you're thinking of it, subscribe. Go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor. Click on subscribe, and that would be very helpful to me. We don't sell your name. We don't collect your name. We don't do any of that, but it's – ratings and all that stuff. Um, listen, I know Chris is going to sail through his upcoming surgery. We're going to get information about that. Um, 
I know that this test in his life will undoubtedly become his great testimony for God. So I want you to go to Facebook, folks, and send Chris an encouraging note, if you will, uh, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Um, I'm, I'm privileged to have my, my good friend, Chris Cahalan, on the radio with me right now. Hey, Chris, how are you, brother? Fabulous. How are you doing? Now, see, there's a guy. Listen, if that doesn't put can you pressure hear, on can you, hear me, I can, can you hear me all right? I hear you perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. You sound great. Now, America, if, if you've got bumps and bruises or a hangnail and, and you, you've got a big decision weighing in on you, maybe things didn't turn out how you wanted, um, here's a guy with pancreas cancer, and he's fabulous. And he's not lying about fe- that being fabulous. He is fabulous. He feels fabulous. He's, he's just blessed to be alive. So, Chris, what, what I want to know, first of all, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about you. Um, you know, give us some background. Some background. Uh, You're not just another uh, pretty face. You're not just another pretty face. Uh, not as pretty as yours. Oh, come on. You're just buttering <laughs> me up. Uh-huh. Yeah, you talked about you being a mess right there in, in front of your your microphone, but I think you've cleaned yourself up pretty well over the last 17 years. Oh, thank you, brother. Uh, myself, uh, well... We met when I was probably 28, and I was an actuary, 27, and that's kind of when we both met our fabulous wives. We kind of fell for the girls with glasses and bib overalls. <laughs> so uh, kind of, you, you were an actuary. I think a lot of people don't know what an actuary actually is. Uh, well, that's like super math guy, super, super, super math, math guy. Super math guy, yeah, super number cruncher. I... Uh, would price products for life insurance and you would send your customers my way to answer questions on what their policies were worth. That's some heavy duty stuff. You gotta be a smart guy to do all that. So, so you're, you do this, you meet your wife and uh, now you're in Minnesota. You're a Minnesotan uh, born and bred. So you're back in Minnesota. What are you doing now? What do you do for a living now? I uh, was got an extra, well, I, threw everything in the back of my car that I could fit from Delaware, where I believe we both were living, and uh, drove home to be with my bride. And uh, a couple years after I got back to Minnesota, I got an actuary job real quick. We made plans to get married. We got married. We started a family. And uh, that's where, you know, having faith in God through all this, we our second daughter died in 2004 and that's kind of where my faith story really takes off so 2004 was a pivotal year for you um first of all tell me a little bit about your wife jessica tell me a little bit about her um what was it about her that man you just you had to be joined with her for the rest of your life uh only girl i ever really knew that I ever considered Marion. I, I had a song written for her. It was called You Stepped Out of My Dreams and Into My Heart. Uh, she she was amazing. I knew from the minute we met over the phone, friends introduced us, and when I first heard her voice, I knew she was the one. We talked for five hours. It was magical. It was it was the uh, the Disney dream come true. Oh, that's awesome except uh, we love each other more than animals. 
<laughs> you weren't anthrop- <laughs> anthropomorphizing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so you uh you met uh in person and you married and um you know what what happened next? You 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 you're just you're living a normal life, you're doing your thing. Um what 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 was the next step? Uh after getting married? Yeah, you get a job, you you have a job. What what's yep, going on? Yeah, have with a you? job, living the dream, having our making a family. Had our first daughter, Megan, and uh, she was gorgeous, perfect in every way, and uh, had one, let's have another. Yeah. And uh, number two came along in 2003, and we named her Rachel, and uh, that's what we found out from the doctor. It was kind of an emergency delivery because there was problems at 37 weeks, and they the heart rate was really slow, so they rushed us to a hospital, and we gave birth there. She gave birth to Rachel. Uh, nurse said at 10:37 she said push, and at 10:37 the baby was born. Wow! Yeah, it came out like a rocket. Wow! Uh, and she was fabulous. Uh, but uh, the doctors looked at her EKGs and diagnosed her with a heart defect called Wolf Parkinson White, WPW, hmm. caused her heart to beat anywhere from 240 to 300 beats per minute, and we had to have her on medicine her entire life to control her heart. Hmm. And Otherwise, medicine, was she a normal kid? I mean, was she able to do normal oh, things? Definitely. Yes, she was extraordinary. Uh, called her my little snuggle bug. My wife did, uh-huh. too. She uh-huh. was a great cuddler. Yeah. And you hold her against your chest, she would nuzzle her head right in between your, your neck and your shoulder, and she was just an awesome hugger. Oh, I love that. I love that. My little girl was like that, too. Yeah. She makes everyone. She made everyone smile. She brought joy to every room she was in. She was a little slice of heaven. Mm. So uh, what, what happened next? She was about... Um, I guess uh, 10, 10, 12, 13, 15 months old. What, what's yep, happening 15, at this point? 15, 15 months. 15 months old. Uh, well, she'd been on medicine for nine months, and my wife and I noticed that her heart had developed another arrhythmia. Doctors told us not to worry about it, so we just kept her on the medicine. Another six months later, uh, it was actually during a political um, debate between... Bush and Kerry, or maybe it was Cheney and Kerry's vice president. And that night was the night that uh, I put the medicine for her heart in the baby bag, and I put it in the pouch on the outside of the bag. My wife always zipped it up on the inside of the bag. And that night, uh, while getting a bottle of milk in the kitchen, our then 15-month-old daughter, Rachel, reached the medicine, got it, opened it like a water bottle, drank, and the next few hours kind of were the end of her life. Mm. I, I slowly watched her fall asleep in my arms. We got her into an ambulance, and we rushed her to an emergency room, where at the emergency room, she flatlined, her heart stopped, and uh, at that point, my mother asked us to go pray with the chaplain in the room next to the emergency room. 
And I didn't know much scripture at that time, but I did know Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, I believe. It says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you will find. And knock, and the door will be open to you. I called that out to God and asked for my daughter to come back. And after we got done praying in that dark room, we went back to the emergency room and pulled the drape. My eyes immediately went for that TV screen, and it was a flat line. And immediately Mm. two bumps went across, then 100 beats per minute. God had answered my prayer. She was back. They were prepping her to go to another intensive care unit. But I should have been more specific with my prayer. Say, God, give me another, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years with her. He mm-hmm. gave me her back for a couple hours. And uh, her heart failed again back in the intensive care unit. We went back, said our goodbyes for a couple hours, and uh, then went home. At that point, though, standing there with my daughter, Rachel, you know, limp and deceased in my arms, I just, in the moments, I felt just numb. Hmm. And I and I knew somewhere in Scripture, God only gives us what we could handle is what I was thinking. I thought, God, so, th- so I can handle this? And it just didn't seem real, this whole world around me did not seem real. I was so numb. Mm. And then we went home and started preparing for a funeral. So she passed there at the hospital? Yep, at about one o'clock in the morning. Something you never think you're gonna you're gonna experience with your child. You you know, uh one of my greatest fears of my whole life is my children predeceasing me. Um it is you know, when you talk about uh, being a snuggle bug and being loving and sweet and everyone. Listen, you know, my daughter, um, you know, I, I, I'm surprised she has a face because I've kissed it off. I don't know how many times and, and just squeezing her and my son, uh, just such a sweet, sweet young man and loving on him. And he's very loving to me. You know, he was my number one caregiver, uh, after my crash. I mean, he had to, he had to make sure I was fed, make sure I had liquid to drink and, and that helped me get up and go to the restroom and all these things. I mean, you know, that's that's an amazing thing. And you never think in a million years that you're in a hospital room at 15 months old at 1 o'clock in the morning that you're going to be kissing your child for the last time. That's just not a, that's not a reality. And I'll tell you what, what I know from being a pastor and, 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 and counseling folks is that that puts a huge strain on most marriages, a huge strain. Yeah, the first if, thing I believe my mother said to me was that uh, I think 80% of marriages fail when a child yeah. dies. Yeah, she it's true. told us not to, she didn't want us to get divorced. So what kept you together? I mean, in these first, uh, these first surreal 12 hours, um, you, you, your mind was probably... You're probably not even able to connect with some sort of reality. And, you know, what do you say to your spouse who gave birth to this child who is now gone and you've now got to do a funeral for? What do you, what well, did you say? We embraced. I would, I, we just mourned together. I know we mourned differently as I immediately went to scripture. I I called out to God, you know, up to from 
a kid going to church, getting dragged to church to being baptized at age 30, and then now my daughter dying at 35, I had known of God. I know Jesus is the Savior, but I still had doubt. And I just called out to God in that moment that night to prove to me, God, that you're real. Mm -hmm. My wife, on the other hand, she didn't want to have anything to do with Scripture. She Mm -hmm. was actually suicidal. Mm. I can imagine. She was blaming blaming herself when, in fact, I believe it was more my fault where I put the baby bottle or where I put the medicine was accessible. I had the opportunity to make her throw up with my finger in her mouth, and I took it out for fear of aspiration, choking on her vomit. Mm-hmm. We actually had a doctor on the line tell us not to do it, but I had the opportunity to do it, and I did not do it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, calling out to God, and uh, it was pretty quick that he answered that prayer because uh, that night, I believe it was 3 in the morning, we get home, maybe 4, I cracked open the Bible, and in the Bible, the Second Corinthians chapter 4, and one of the first things I read, God met me right where I was at, and it said, it says there in Second Corinthians four seventeen and eighteen that for our for our light affliction, which is not but for a moment, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And that's totally where I was. Everything I mm. saw around me, I was numb. It didn't feel real. And I wanted to see the unseen. I wanted to know that the unseen, the heaven, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I wanted to know that's all true. That's all real. I wanted mm. proof. And, uh, you know, in the, in the next few days, God really, in an amazing, incredible way, showed me how real he was. How did he do it? What, what happened? Take us through it. Uh, man, well, reading that scripture, I basically... I just mourned the loss of my daughter a few hours prior, and then I'm sitting up in bed celebrating this scripture, praising God for it. And over the next few days, my wife and I knew for sure we were going to do the eulogies at the funeral. Lots of people came over, and we were trying to develop a program for the funeral, which you kind of touched on funerals earlier. We called it a celebration of life. Mm-hmm. It truly was a celebration. Um, but I struggle to put it to words what my daughter Rachel meant to me. I was laying in bed at midnight, the night of, before the funeral, which we're getting picked up at 10 to go there. And I'm laying in bed, sitting up trying to write, can't write anything. And then I hear this voice in my head which I believe was the Holy Spirit asking me the question, what does your daughter's name mean? Hmm. So I got up, went down to where the computer was, down in the basement, turned it on, typed in, let's try babynames.com. Sure enough, it's a website. And I type in her name, Rachel, and it pops two words, innocent lamb. I was hmm. like, God, you're so awesome. This Jesus is the innocent lamb. My daughter, Rachel, was like a little innocent lamb. And I began to pour out my heart over the next couple hours of how 
she was just a joy to everybody. She was a blessing, smiling, a cuddle bug. She just was such a joy, such a gift, such a blessing that she was Christ-like. And I concluded my eulogy with Innocent Lamb. I went upstairs to share that with my wife at 2 in the morning. And she woke up and I told her, you you know what Rachel's name means? And she said, no. I said, it means Innocent Lamb. And she had one paragraph written. That's all she Mm. had. And it was how her mother's neighbor always called, always greeted Rachel as Little Lamb. Oh. So my wife pours out her heart in the next four hours. At 6 o'clock, we read the eulogy. And then there was no way we could have written that eulogy with the theme of the Lamb thread through it like it was presented. It was Amazing. At 10 o'clock, we get picked up to go to the funeral. I'm running out the door, excited to share what happened through the night. I'm so pumped up to go celebrate her life and share with others. I must have looked crazy. Uh, um, My parents' granddaughter just died. My daughter just died, and I'm excited to go to the funeral. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we get there. uh, A friend gets up and says something really awesome. Then my wife and I get up and we share our eulogies. We sit down in the front row and the worship team comes up to sing their first song. We had nothing to do with what they were going to sing. The first song they sang was from Isaiah 40 verse 11 where and it, the song was called He Gathers the Lambs. So at that moment, I'm sitting in the front row and I'm, God, you proved your case you are real. I'm just, you know, giving hallelujahs, shaking my head back and forth, just in awe of how awesome God is, how true he is, how real he is. I was just so amazed. He didn't have to go any further to prove to me how real he was, but he did. Because once again, I didn't have any part of this planning, but my wife, bless her heart, she had a trinity of doves arranged to be released at the gravesite. Mm. After the pastor says this thing, the doves come, and my dad, holding the dove, releases the dove, and symbolic of the father. My mom releases the dove, symbolic of the son. Her mom releases the dove, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And at the head of the casket are my wife and then two-year-old daughter, Megan holding the fourth dove, symbolic of Rachel. Mm. And I'm on the side of the casket watching as they open their hands to release this dove. And as I watch it lift out of their hands, one feather falls out of the wing of that dove. And it floats over across the casket from me to this little six-year-old girl. She gets the feather. She does not hang on to it. She does not give it to her mom or dad. She does not go hand it to my wife or my daughter. She walks directly across the casket to me, the father, who's asking God to show that he was real. Mm. She hands that feather to me, and I'm just standing there with the feather between my thumb and my index finger, twirling it, just in awe of what an awesome God we have. Mm. How much he loves us. The extent he'll go to show us 
how much he loves us. It's amazing. Mm. Well, you know, Put the cherry on top. Yeah, and and the thing is, is and, and I want to say this to people. I I preach a lot of funerals, and and I and I have, um, and I say this not in a cavalier way. I have the the solemn honor to um, to minister to people at the very worst possible time. Uh, the worst possible time in their life, uh, you know, th- their children predecease them. The uh, so, so so many awful awful things. Uh, I I spoke at a, I was honored to speak at a, a funeral of someone who uh, did my braces for I guess almost three years. I see her every every six weeks, and then she tragically and and, and a total stunner passes away at 22 years old at home. And um, and I I was privileged to to speak at her funeral. And one of the things that I talked about is, look, you know, you hesitant faith. I have a saying. It's a it's a copyrighted saying. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. You um, you just faith. You, we we hear a lot of people quote. Well, you just all you have to have is the faith of a mustard seed and. And and there's a lot of Hebrew uh, idiomatic uh, reality tied up within that, the faith of a mustard seed. Uh, one little mustard seed put on the tip of your tongue will change your day. And it's very powerful. Even though it's very small, it's very powerful. And it's committed. The mustard seed's committed. You put one mustard seed in a little bit of uh, fluid and uh, or a mayonnaise or whatever, you're going you're gonna to see a distinct flavor change. It's very strong. It's very powerful. So a lot of people think, well, I can have shaky, weak faith and and everything's fine. But the reality of it is, is that's not the case at all. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. We are to constantly be working on building and growing our faith in such a way, and everybody does it differently. And but at these funerals, when I when I at this twenty-two-year-old dear dear girl, uh, just wonderful human being. Um, when I was speaking at her funeral, I looked around and I said, listen, people, within within your body, and a lot of these people were young people struggling with the same thing that Katrina struggled with, and, and I said, within your body is a beating heart that one day will stop, but all around you are people that love you that will be devastated if something happens to you, devastated. They'll never be the same. Uh, and I put myself in the... Um, in the position of, of, you know, I think about, and I, I, I burst into tears when I think about either of my kids. If something happens to them, predeceases me, how in the world would I even stand up? I don't even know. I'm that way about my dog. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. But your child, my goodness, it's just something you never, ever think of. And life is so, and Chris, I know that there's another part to your story that we're going to get to in a second. But um, this isn't the whole story, folks. There's a lot more to come that will blow your mind. Um, but I want to encourage you, if you're out there listening, you say, look, I can't measure up to this kind of faith. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. God gives us, he gives us the capacity for this kind of faith. Every one of us, he does. Uh, you may be the type of person that's a glass, uh, half-empty kind of person. You may say, well, I I can't do that. I'm not a I'm if that happened to me, what happened to Chris and Jessica, there's no way in the world I'm I'm going to make it. No way in the world. I can't do it. I can't do it. 
God would have to take me then in order to uh in, in order to, I just wouldn't be able to function. Wouldn't be able to function. And so I want to encourage you folks, you these things come along in a lot of lives all across America, all across the world, but but in all across our country, they they these these horrible things happen. You look at that little bat boy, nine year old boy. He's he's proud. He's in uniform. He's got his hat on. I think they said he even had a helmet on, as was policy. He had a helmet on, and one of the players was doing a practice swing. Didn't know the boy had wandered into the on deck circle. Now this guy's devastated. He's not been able to play again. Uh, you know he he's devastated. It's a, a minor league, a professional minor league team. This guy is so devastated. He just is just heartsick. But this nine-year-old child is gone. He is gone. You know, he is happy. He's doing. He's having the time of his life, literally and figuratively. And in one moment, one simple little thing, he is gone forever. And I'm telling you, folks, if your faith isn't solid... If you don't have com- and li- and folks, I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. It it is it is uh it is something quite honestly that uh it's it's a huge challenge, folks. It's a huge challenge, and uh, whenever I give invitations, when I'm asked to speak at different churches, different religious organizations, I I say, you know, just so you know, I'm. I don't give invitations like normal pastors. Lift your little finger up, text this number if you've accepted Christ in your heart, and all will be well. It's going to be super easy for you. There are there are greater challenges for not listen non Christians. People don't have that haven't placed their faith in Yeshua Hamashiach, uh, Jesus Christ. If they they what do they care? You know they're they're living life. They're doing whatever they want to do, however they want to do it. Yeah, they may have challenges, but the ultimate reality, folks, is. When you place your faith in Christ, you're going to come under challenge. The enemy is going to test you, and make no mistake about it, there is an enemy that seriously wants to test you. He wants to wreck you. He did it with Job. God says you can do anything to him but take his life. And and the enemy sure did. And I'm telling you, folks, times hesitant faith is no faith at all. Times are coming in this country. Times are coming in this country. If you think it's bad now... Oh, it's going to get a whole lot worse. And if your faith is hesitant, partial, weak, you're in for a very rough ride. And how do you gain? Chris Cahalan and Jessica Cahalan did not come to this faith by accident. They came to this faith by by surrendering themselves to Adonai Elohim, a holy God, and saying, God, I don't understand any of this, but through you I can. And I'm pleading with you. I'm hungering and thirsting after you. Reading Scripture. If you have a Bible that you don't understand, get a different translation. Send me a message. The complete Jewish Bible is, is I have 30 or more Bibles. Uh, but the one I use the most is the complete Jewish Bible. It is a phenomenal translation uh, done by David Stern. It is very easy to understand for regular folk, and to me it's the most accurate Bible I have ever seen. But get you a Bible. If you don't have the means to get a Bible, um, I'll help you get one. I will help you get one. And then study it hard. Dig in. Pray. Talk with God, not to God. Talk and listen. 
People say, well, I feel like I'm praying to the air. Folks, I, I've got a newsflash for you. You're not praying to the air. There, there is not a God. There is the God. We don't serve a, an awesome God. We serve the awesome God. And, and God can, can indwell you in a way, folks, he can be in you in a way that gives you the kind of faith that Chris and Jessica have. And listen, that's not the only challenge to Chris and Jessica's faith. Chris, tell us, you know, from, from when you buried Rachel to now, what, what has your life been like up until now? Uh, it's been about 10 years. I Needless to say, when she died and that feather was in my hand, I was on fire for God. I wanted to learn the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but. I wanted to know everything. And I started to learn, digging into Scripture. I found out that Luke 3.22 says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove when he was baptized. Mm -hmm. And that dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and God used that dove to give me comfort. The Holy Spirit is called a comforter, an advocate. It'll lead us into all truth. That's where I wanted to be in God. I mean, just like in Noah, in Genesis 8:12, Noah sent out a dove because he couldn't see land. And he was in the boat for, what, three months before mm-hmm. he even, uh, took a year before he was able to get out of the boat. He couldn't see land for a long time, but through a dove who brought Noah an olive branch, he couldn't see the land, but through that dove, he knew it was there because of the olive branch. Mm-hmm. God did the same thing for me. I couldn't see heaven, but through a dove, he gave me the feather to let me know that it still it is out there. Mm. And just going through scripture and learning these things would help solidify my faith and grow my faith even more over the 10 years. I've learned tremendous amounts of truth that have really given me strength, just knowing that God's in control, regardless of what's going on in the world now, God is in control. Um, How how is how is your oldest daughter? Her first name is Megan. Megan is thirteen now. Wow. I, did did it change how you interact with Megan at all? Um, you know, was there was there any change at all in kind of how you deal with Megan? I all I really can recall is it ain't fun going from two kids to one. Yeah. <laughs> it, it ain't right. There's a there's a, a a bed empty in your house. It's not fun to have that empty mm-hmm. room in your house. Um, we almost lost her too. I mean, you speak of trials and tribulations. Our daughter Megan, when she was six, I believe, she got rotavirus while we were in mm. Florida on a family vacation. We spent ten nine of our ten days of vacation in an ER room where she almost slipped into a coma, a diabetic coma, mm. because she, she couldn't hold down any food or drink, and she was getting dehydrated to the point where her blood sugar was at 32, 
you know, and they finally were rushing to get some IV fluid into her to, to save her life. And we were to the point where she was winking to say yes and no to us. Mm. And, and they finally got her full of some fluids. I mean, we were waiting in the ER room for probably six hours before we got seen. So we were lucky that we didn't lose her too. Our daughter, <laughs> be careful what you pray for. My wife mm. prayed. She she had this guilty feeling of it was her fault that Rachel died. Mm-hmm. She prayed to God to give her another child with an illness so she could prove she could take care of that child. Wow. Our third child, Sydney, born eight months after uh, Rachel died. She was born with uh, a duplicated system. She had three kidneys. She had BUR reflux from her urine, reflux back to her kidneys, which is the leading cause of kidney damage, renal failure. So we definitely had to put her on medicine for her first four years of her life to protect her kidneys from infection. So be careful what you pray for because we got it. (laughs) Mm. But Sydney now is 10. She's a true blessing. Uh, she's a joy. She's full of love. She's hugging everybody all the time, and she's very affectionate. Mm. We're blessed to have her. Uh, in fact, she almost died at the Mayo Clinic. She had surgery to try to fix her her condition, and it wasn't. It didn't work, and she was swelling up because her kidneys weren't functioning properly. And her potassium levels were at 6.3, whatever the units are, which is off the charts, at risk for a heart attack. They rushed her to an emergency room and gave her something to counteract potassium to save her life. (laughs) Uh, And my wife at that time, her faith journey, she felt like she received a comforting message from the Holy Spirit walking through the halls. She was... She felt like God told her it's going to be all right, and it was. Then our fourth child, Grant, he's seven years old now. He uh, had such severe jaundice as a newborn baby. His bilirubin number was twenty or around 20, and I think you're at risk for brain damage at that point. Mm. We've had lots of uh, stress and strain with our kids, but praise God, we made it through. So I definitely have a soft spot for people who deal with those trials. I mean, this nine-year-old boy that got hit with the bat that you're talking about, and even the person that swung the bat, that's one thing I'm glad no other kid got the medicine bottle that I put in that baby bag. And it was mm-hmm. my daughter, not someone else's daughter, that died because of a mistake I made. That would have been mm-hmm. even worse to deal with. And I actually have a friend at church that uh, he's a ninja guy himself. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he uh, accidentally was involved with a, in a sparring match that one of his friends died while they were sparring. Mm-hmm. And he had went through a tremendous trial of getting over that. And I can't speak for him, but faith in God is probably the only thing 
that has pulled him out of the dark place that he was. Mm. So life is uh, life's been a piece of cake for you, huh? Just a breeze. Easy you know, you as, become a Christian. Easy as pie. <laughs> you become a Christian. It's all easy, man. It's all easy. Uh, I can consider your trials pure joy. I've asked God that one. Yeah. You know, help me figure out this joy thing. Yeah. Consider pure yeah. joy because they they make us mature and complete, though. So. Yeah. That that definitely holds true. Well. Go ahead. You can go one of two ways when tragedy strikes. You can go to God or you can go the other direction. Yeah, and for sure. The other direction is emptiness and, and, and never, you know, never, ever recovering from it. Um, so a bottomless pit. Bottomless pit. So you and I, you know, we just joked about, oh, it's been a piece of cake for you. But it didn't stop there because now you're 46 years old, relatively healthy guy. I mean, you were always a pretty healthy guy. You like to play softball and you know, you, now you're no longer an actuary. You're a you're you're a painter. You have a painting business. You you paint uh, houses. I mean, how in the yep. world did that come to happen? Because you know, it's September hard. To, folks, folks, it's hard to be an actuary. Let me say this: it's extremely difficult. Most people don't pass the tests. There's not one test. There's a bunch of tests. You know, it's super super hard. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah. So, but all of a sudden you go from being a uh, an actuary, working so hard to be that, and then you uh so now what what happens? How did you end up becoming a a painter? September 11th happens and uh our company that I worked for, we were consulting actuaries for Northwest Airlines was a big client of ours. Mhm. And when September 11th happened, people stopped flying the airlines had to make cuts and they made cuts in the projects that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So that affected me. Like I think it was five, six months later, they were letting people go and I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, a friend from church offered to hire me on as a painter in his company. I loved manual labor. I paid my way through college doing it. Mm-hmm. So I joined up with him for about a year and a half and then started my own company in 2003. And I've been doing painting ever since. Wow. Do you like it? Do you like doing it? I love the, just the fruit of your labor. You can see it right before your hands. When you're done, you've transformed something and you made it new. I have a good friend. Go ahead. I have a good friend, Isaac. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he runs a business called County Appliance. It's been family business for many, many years, and, and he bought the business from his dad. And, and uh, he's also a man of great faith and, and digging into Scripture. And, and, he, and he says, you know, I, I like what I do. seems pretty simple, but I like what I do. I like fixing appliances. I, like, I can look at it, and then I can walk away. When I arrived, it didn't work. When I left, it works. And, um, you know, and a lot of times he'll find problems that people didn't know they had and say, hey, you know, I, I'm going to fix this for you. And a lot of times he doesn't even charge them for that. But that's a, that's a true thing. I've heard a lot of people that, you know, an, an actuarial job is a challenging, challenging job mentally. But um, I can imagine that you don't really get the, the joy of the completed product so much. No, the completed product's usually in a three-ring binder on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's something. So, so you're yep. doing that. You're doing the painting thing. Everything's going along swimmingly. You've got your different challenges. But tell us about your uh, the most recent challenge, uh, the most present challenge that came into your life. Yeah, well, July third, I uh, got home from work. We're getting ready to go on a little family vacation for the Fourth of July. Celebrate this great nation. And uh, I open up a water bottle, and I take a drink out of it. It smells horrible. I look hmm. at the cover. It's got black mold on it. Uh-oh. Now, a couple of hours later, I had this horrible stomach ache. Now, doctors have said that the black mold, they pretty much ruled out that has anything to do with what's going on, but that's where it all started. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the stomach ache lasts for 10 days. I can't get rid of it. And to add insult to injury, I grabbed some Pepto-Bismol out of the counter and took a couple of swigs and found out that it was one year past uh, its expiration date. <laughs> it didn't have, that wasn't very good either. Mm-mm. But uh, so July 13th had been 10 days. I had a real restless sleep. I couldn't sleep. The pain was so bad. And my wife, Jessica, made an appointment for me to see the doctor. Uh believe it was a Monday morning and I went in got uh, blood tests urine tests all kinds of tests and the doctors thought I had a stomach infection so mm-hmm. they prescribed or an ulcer the stomach infection test for H. pylori came back negative and they wanted me back in to do to do more tests and those tests showed that my liver uh levels were too high and they wanted an MRI. So I went and got the MRI done and that was Friday night. They diagnosed me with a mass on the head of my pancreas. Mm. And at that moment, the doctors, they kind of didn't want to say the C word. They didn't want to say the the tumor, the T word. They just called it a mass. Mm -hmm. But we knew we had something to deal with. The tumor was pinching off my bile duct from my li- liver to my digestive tract, which was causing me to uh, get constipated. The blood was backing, the bile was backing up into my liver, into my bloodstream, causing my urine to be orangish brown, a real dark color. Mm. And uh, so they got me scheduled for a procedure to put a stint in my bile duct to relieve the symptoms. That was on Saturday. Had tons of people coming in and praying for me. Um, it was amazing how, how the body of Christ just came to be with me, pray for me. And uh, once the stint was in, they got me scheduled for a biopsy. The biopsy confirmed that it was cancer. Um Throughout this week, though, of diagnosis, some amazing things were happening. My wife, she was waiting for me during the stint procedure in the Mm. waiting room. And some lady, we don't know, a receptionist, she sees my wife and she feels called to come up to her, called by the Holy Spirit. And she asked my wife, I told my wife, I feel like I'm supposed to talk to you. 
what's your husband in for, she asked my wife. And Jessica told her, my husband has a mass on the head of his pancreas. This lady's response was, praise Jesus. Mm. My husband had the same thing, tumor on the head of his pancreas. He had this Whipple procedure, and he's fine. It's been three years for going to a graduation party after I get off of work, and my wife was so comforted. And it was almost as if at that point, God was telling us through the Holy Spirit, the end of the line, this is the way you're headed. Because we had people from church were telling us that there's another guy, an elder of the church named Dana Nyquist, had the same thing. He had the Whipple procedure, and he's fine. Mm -hmm. And then I was diagnosed with the cancer on the 23rd, of July. On the 24th, I call a pastor from our church called me and he wanted, he thought it was good news that there was no cancer in my bile duct, but I told him the bad news that there was cancer in my pancreas. Mm-hmm. And he was watching, the church softball team was in a big tournament. He, he wanted me to come down, but I was having dinner with the family. So I called him back in about an hour hour and a half to see how the team did. The team one told me, you're not going to believe what just happened. Hmm. We ran into a guy named Tom. They hadn't seen him for years. And they asked him how he's doing. And Tom says, doing great. But I'm going through some uh, medical issues right now. I got, I got a cancer of pancreatic cancer. I've got this mass. It's 2.4 centimeters in the head of my pancreas. Mine was 2.3 centimeters. So, to me, that's no coincidence. With God, there's no coincidences. This guy was telling my pastor that you got to tell him this. you got to make sure he keeps his head up. He was full of advice for me because he's already gone through it for three to four months. He's had to have chemo, and uh, he's had some infection issues that he's had to deal with, too, before he can have surgery. But we both, so I go up to the park to meet this guy. He's 47, I'm 46. His tumor's 2.4 centimeters, mine's 2.3, and we both have doctor appointments on Monday to see if we're ready for surgery. What are the Mm. odds? Yeah. That's no coincidence. And then on Tuesday, we both find out that we're ready for surgery. So I told him, I I feel like we're both, God's telling us we're both going to be okay. Mm -hmm. When is your surgery? What's the date of your surgery? August 20th. Last I heard, Tom's is sometime in September. So uh, at this surgery, this sounds like a pretty serious surgery to me. Yeah, it could be anywhere from three and a half to nine hours is what the doctor said. Mm -hmm. They basically take out, fortunate for me, they don't have to take my stomach as it sits right now. Once they open me up, it could change like a gastric bypass. Mm -hmm. You got to take out two inches around everywhere where the the tumor is, which, mm-hmm. hey, my faith tells me that tumor could be gone. Yeah. The faith and power that comes through in the name of Jesus to the faith that comes through him that all these other people with faith that believe are praying, mm-hmm. it could be gone. Because I actually had a guy, this guy from Guatemala, a brother of a guy I worked for, amazing missionary in Guatemala. He's healing in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. He's 
praying for people to see, and they were blind, and now they see. It, 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 legally, they're still blind, but they can see. I mean, it's a miracle. Mm. And he's healing people of disease. He happened to be in town, and his brother tried calling me, couldn't get a hold of me. He went to his cousin's house, who's a friend from church, and his wife said, you got to go over and pray for Chris. So he comes over to my house on Thursday night, the, I don't know when it was, what day, but, and he laid hands on me, I mean, where the tumor was and prayed that it'd be gone, just as the disciples used to pray. Just boldly say, get up and walk. And he said, cancer be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my faith tells me it could be gone. There, there could be even better testimony ahead. Yeah, amen. Well, uh, I will tell you this. We we sincerely appreciate you sharing your very, very riveting story with us. And we as a group, uh, I have a, uh, I call them a, a million happy warriors. We're building a goal to have hashtag one million happy warriors. We, we, um, we just believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of God, and and that uh, He has. We're not. We don't recreate God in our own image. Um, he handled re- creating us in His image. And the fact is, is there are no limits in time, space, any of those things. He can undo things as He wishes. Um, you know, the moving of a mountain that He made is no big deal. And so we know that he is supremely capable of that. So uh, I know that there's been some messages on uh, God and Country uh, Radio, the show page on Facebook already. There's been some prayers put there for you. Um, That will continue because I know this audience responds. And um, I will be sure to keep everybody up to date as to what's happening with you and how God is working in this. But I sincerely, on behalf of my audience, I sincerely appreciate uh, you, this is a hard story to tell, and um, I know everybody out there with children, both young and older, are probably uh, going through a box of tissues right now, imagining what if I was in that situation? What if I was dealing with, with that? And, and even to the extent of, you know, a lot of people's problems seem like a big deal when they don't take sort of the 20,000-foot view uh, but listen, you're dealing with some serious stuff here. But everybody thinks that their stuff is huge, but it's not. It's not. There's 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 tougher stuff that comes for people, and this is one of those tougher stuff. And and I will say this: that you're up to the task, and the people that love you, which are many, um, will be with you, be beside you, will not uh, waver in both our faith and our action. We will be sure to lift you up every day. And without fail, and we will not allow our faith to be hesitant faith. So, thank you very much for sharing your story, and uh, you know, keep us updated. Let us know how you're doing each step of the way. August twentieth, folks, you need to be praying for Chris and his family. It's a very serious surgery, as you heard. Uh, it's a very serious issue. Pancreatic cancer is is not. Um, it's not by any means a layup, but for God, God made His body, and God can heal His body. And he'll use whatever means he sees fit to do that. But we're praying and praising in advance. You know, there's a difference between, uh, and Chris, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there's a big difference between uh, praise and worship. Praise is thanking God for your shoes. Lord, thank you so much for my shoes. These shoes are sure beautiful. 
These are sure beautiful. Such nice shoes. Thank you, Lord, for these fancy shoes. They shine so nice. They fit so comfortably. My goodness, I can wear them with anything. Thank you, Lord, for these shoes. That's praise. Worship is when you don't have any shoes. Father, thank you that you've given me feet to walk with. Someday you're going to put, if you see fit, you're going to put shoes on these feet. And I thank you for my feet that I can walk. Shoes or no shoes, you've given me the ability to go places where you see fit to send me. That's worship. And that's the kind of person you are. You are you are a praiser and a worshiper of the living God. And um, I think you've inspired my audience, and, and I know that you have, and, and I look forward to the reports that are coming. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. It's been awesome to have you. It's always an honor to chat with you. Thanks, Sean. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So there you have it, folks. There you have it. There's a, there's a story. And, and um, you know, we only have 30 minutes left. And uh, and I just I want you all to understand there's a reason why uh, I brought Chris on the show today. And I just had the very strong sense that there's a lot of people out there that you're facing extremely challenging decisions right now. You you are dealing with stuff that I'll tell you most people could could never could never work their way through and and some of the stuff that you're being beaten down by isn't big stuff it's it's not big stuff but you become so lost in the problem you don't see that God is the solution you say well I've prayed to God and He didn't answer me you don't pray to God you pray with God. You know, when you're when you're generating so much noise in your life, you can't hear God. The power is not necessarily in, in prayer. It's not necessarily in the praying. It's in the listening. And that takes a lot of nerve. It takes a lot of guts to do that. I'm here to tell you, it ain't easy. It is not easy. But it's doable. And I don't want to minimize anybody's anybody's stuff. I, I don't ever want you to feel like I'm looking down on your stuff and saying, well, that's nothing. Have you ever been hit head-on by a car going 92 miles per hour? That's nothing. You know, Chris's stuff is some real stuff. I mean, listen, it's hard to turn your eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face when you feel like the world is crashing around you. And and I talk about this all the time, both here on, on this show, on our Sunday uh, message called Sundays with Dr. Sean, right here on this same channel. You can listen to past episodes for free. It costs you nothing to listen to this. It costs you nothing to tell your friends either. also costs you nothing to subscribe. If, if not for nothing, that would really help us. But I, I just want you to understand that, that the challenges that you're facing – Turn them over to God. Truly turn them over. There's a lot of people that they say, well, salvation didn't work for me. You know, I don't feel any better. It's no better. It's no easier. Life's no better. It's no easier. Joy and happiness are very different things, folks. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I know a lot of Christians. Listen, next week I'm going to be, uh, I think Monday I'm going to be doing the show from uh, from Georgia. And, and I'm going to tell you something. The people that I will be with, uh, are amazing people. If I can talk them into it, I want them, uh, at least Dee and Larry, to come on the radio with me and, and talk about their lives. Their, their amazing lives are amazing people. And everything has not been peachy keen and super easy. 
but their faith in God is unwavering. It's real. It's, they live it. And, and, and the thing is, is you say, well, that didn't work for me. Salvation didn't work for me. I'm here to tell you, folks, you've got to apply yourself. It's not some simple, quick, easy prayer. Don't be, don't be led down that path to think it's some quick, easy prayer. Repeat after me. The Christian life, the, the following, the follower of the way. People ask me, well, what religion are you? What denomination are you? I'm a follower of the way. The original Christians, what should be called a Christian back then, was a pejorative, but uh, the original Christians or Gentiles that were Messianic, and the Messianic Jews, they were followers of the way. The Jews never stopped being Jews, but they were Messianic Jews. But the, the people that were not Jews that followed Christ, they were followers of the way. And that's what I am, a follower of the way. Do I get it right every time? No. I'm as much of an idiot as anybody you've ever run across. I'm telling you that right now. But in this country, folks, we are in for some extraordinary... If you're sitting at home or you're driving home from your work and you're saying, look, all we got to do is get... We got to get uh, we got to get Ted Cruz or Donald Trump or or Scott Walker. You know all of that, all of that. We you know we've just got to get them elected. One of those elected. Whoever you're pulling for, we got to get them elected, and it'll be okay. We you know I remember telling people this: the the Republican majority in Congress has meant nothing. It's meant nothing. Because conservatives are being beaten back at every turn. The president and his administration have whooped us. Partly because of our feckless Congress. They're fearful and they're afraid. And they're not fixers. They just want to wield power. There are some like Cruz. There are some like Jason Chaffetz and others. Um... You know, they there's some great people. Mike Lee, Trey Gowdy, there's some great people there. I, I, I don't want you to I don't want you to uh, feel there aren't great people there. There are great people there. However, you need to understand that even if everyone we want to get elected gets elected. It isn't going to change much if you don't get plugged in. And before you get totally and fully plugged in, guess what you have to do? You have to align with your faith. You have to get real with your faith. You have to do an assessment of your life and your faith. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. I hate to bear that bad news. You say, well, are you telling me my faith can't waver? No, I'm not telling you that at all. My faith wavers. I get mad at God just like anybody else. But you've got to understand that it is a relationship with the one true God. A real relationship. A hungering and thirsting after Christ. That's the only thing that's going to change it. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Center for Self-Governance. I'm a giant fan of it. There's a reason why. By the way, in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, New Jersey, we're going to be having a level one and a level two and I think a level four training here December, uh, December, September 14th through the 18th. I'll be there, by the way. I'll be taking level two and level uh, – if, if we can do a level three, if I can complete all my homework, 
I'll try to do as much as I can. I believe in this. That's why I hawk it. They don't pay me anything to do this. But you know what? These people aren't paid anything to do it. Travel all over the country. They're mutually pledged. And oddly enough, they're all Christians. There's not going to be any Bible thumping there. If you're not a, if you're not a Christian, a follower of Christ, or you're not a, a Jew or a Messianic, you, hey, look, that's cool with us. We've got to save this country, folks. You're the solution. But if you are a person of faith, you've got to dig in and dig down and find your faith. And if you're a worry bug, if you've got anxiety just running you up one side and down the other, that's the enemy, folks. That's the enemy. Do I look? I'm not saying to be cavalier about things. Make no mistake about this. Chris and and Jessica Kahalen, they are not cavalier about the challenges they face. Chris, when he when he talked about, you know, he was excited to go share with people at the funeral of his daughter. He wasn't looking at it in a cavalier way, not at all. But his faith was real. It was tested and it was found true. What is your faith? Many of you out there are having minor things trip you up. Some of you, I know for a fact, I have a, you know, great friends who have lost their children. You know, one of my friends, 22 years old, she buried her 22-year-old child. Her cherub, her wonderful, wonderful daughter. That's super hard, folks. There's people out there. Uh, I have another dear friend whose birthday is on the day her brother was killed in a car accident. Folks, that, that ain't easy. It's awful tough to celebrate your birthday when your brother died. Tomorrow is the tragic anniversary of Extortion 17. I'm just going to say this. I, you know, I have a very patriotic audience. But if you don't know, if I say Extortion 17, you don't know what that is, you need to Google that. And you need to get my friend's book, Betrayed. Phenomenal book. Super, very, very well written. The book Betrayed by Billy Vaughn. Lost his son Aaron Carson Vaughn in Extortion 17. You need to get plugged in. You need to get real. And look, if you say to me, my faith is just so shaky. I'm going to ask you, how much time do you spend studying the Bible? You say, well, that's such an old book. It's so out of date. Really? Because I'll tell you something. Because Chris knew Scripture, and because he dug into Scripture, he could minister to his wife. He could minister to himself through the Word. If you don't know it, if you don't care to know it, you're like, "Ah, I'm too busy. My kids got soccer. I'm too busy. What if you invested the amount of time that you watch television shows in the evening? What if you took half of that time and you just you immersed yourself in the Word? What if? What if you took that time and you quieted your heart and you prayed to and with God? What if? I'm just going to tell you, folks, things change when you change. I never want to let a show pass where I don't welcome all the war fighters, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, and Sheepdogs. And also, you know, I do this every week. Uh, the agency, CIA, lost a clandestine uh, service member uh, very, very recently 
And, you know, those those people don't get a parade. They don't get flag-draped caskets. They don't even, half the time their families don't even know what they do for a living. It sounds crazy to a lot of people, but it's fact. But there's a lot of uniformed and clandestine services, people standing on the line for us. And I'm not going to allow the country to forget about you. Well, I'm here. And, and, and there's a lot of Gold Star families, or 30-some families tomorrow. Listen, this tomorrow is the worst day in their life so far for a lot of these people. You owe it to them to know about them. You know, you look, some of these people are in your neighborhood. They might even live down the street from you, right down the street from you. You know, they might have a window where there's a, a, a gold star flag, a banner hanging in the window. And you've wondered, wonder what that's about. You see those with the blue star, that's they have service members overseas serving. And when it's a gold star, that's the last thing you ever want to see in somebody's window is a gold star because that means they lost their service member. They lost their son, their daughter, their father, their husband, their brother, their sister. They lost them. They're gone. They died fighting for our freedom. Look, I don't give a rat's behind if you support this uh, war against terror and this war against our enemies uh, or not. But you darn sure better support the people that are overseas and the people that are stationed here that are working so hard. These people work hard. I've got a dear buddy of mine, Sean. Uh, He's going to deploy soon. And you know what? You talk about struggles. His wife and he have been through some really serious struggles, fighting cancer multiple times. And now he's about to deploy. There's some hard stuff, folks. Do you know what it's like to, to, to have that happen in your life where where your service member and, – and I'll tell you this. There's there's a young man. I don't want to say his name because I, I didn't get a response from him indicating that it would be okay if I, if I said his name. But there's a young man who uh, – he has served 14 years uh, in our military, and he – He's he's hanging it up. He's hanging his boots up. After 14 years in the military. He's in the Air Force, actually. And if you go to God and Country uh, Radio, the, the show page, uh, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, you can read what he wrote. It's powerful, folks. It's powerful. He and his wife are both in the service. Next month, his wife will be processing out. They're both getting out of the military. And people ask him all the time, why don't you just stay one more enlistment, one more tour for your retirement? You'll be able to retire. But he said something very powerful here. He said it was somewhat difficult to answer with just one reason as to why I've decided to take off the uniform. Was it the pay and benefits? No, not really, even though I make less than $15 an hour, which many people think the minimum wage should be. Was it all the deployments? Uh, sort of. He's been deployed to Afghanistan, Iraq, Kosovo, Bosnia, just to name a few, and 25 other countries. He, he's been in the military for 15 or 14 years, and he 
doesn't make $15 an hour. Yet our Congress starts at $174,000 an hour. That's their that an hour, $174,000 a year. They don't risk their life, but he sure did. His wife sure does. $15 an hour, he doesn't even make that after 14 years. You say, well, he chose that. Well, we give him a lot of other stuff. No, we don't. Don't be silly. Don't be silly, folks. Don't live under the notion that, uh, you know, well, we take care of our own. No, we don't. We're sickening. We are sickening. We don't take care of our own. We don't. We don't do it. We allow them, the VA, the Veterans Administration Hospitals, to be mistreated, to wait for a year, many of whom to die while they're awaiting treatment. We allow people who have given whole limbs of their bodies in service to this country to go a year or more without a prosthetic leg or arm. It's sickening, folks. You say, that can't be. That can't be. We have all these government employees who are paid to do this for us on our behalf. We made a promise to these people. This can't be. Well, it's true. Go visit a VA hospital and see what it's like. But let me tell you something. You say, well, we take care of those who have given the last full measure of devotion for our country. Uh, we, we, we do that. We do that. No, we don't. Ask the parents of Extortion 17 if we do that. You know what they do to the parents of Extortion 17? They lie to them. They started lying and they never stopped. It's, it's a fact, folks. It's a fact. Organizations like uh, the Michael Strange Foundation, they... They're doing things that, frankly, our government should be doing. But you know what? Our government doesn't do things well. Let's just admit it. They don't do things well. They don't manage things well. They waste money. They're inefficient. So many things that we could say about that. But you know what? It's pitiful. It's pitiful, and we allow it. We allow it. Even when we hear of how our patients, our service members in the VA, we, we, we'll do a, some posts on Facebook, we'll do some Twitter Twitter tweets. Oh, we're mad. But that's where it stopped. We ought to be in mass uh, approaching these hospitals and going to Congress and saying, uh, you know, um, I'm going to have to defer this to, to next Monday, and I will do it. I'm not going to not do this, and I apologize. I don't, I don't want to lead you astray, but... Um, I'm going to tell you, what if I ran for president? What will be driving me? And one of the things uh, I'm going to talk about is the organizations that I'm going to get rid of, the government organizations that I would get rid of. I would absolutely be done with. I'd be writing them off, uh, and it's not hyperbole. I would absolutely do it. One of these things people say to me, you know, because it's like 30 or 40 right off the top, and all sub, you know, subordinate organizations, all related organizations, so it's like 100 and some. People say, well, Dr. Sean, that's just hyperbole. You can't let that many federal employees lose their jobs. That would be a disaster, and it just wouldn't be right. Let me ask you something, folks. How important is your job? How important is your income? 
Then let me ask you this. Why is your job and your income any less important than federal employees? Why is that? You've got to do away with this whole notion of public service. You know, uh, public employees uh, are, are in public service. There's a lot of hardworking folks that are not political people. They're just they're working hard. They're doing the best they can. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do if I were president, what I would do if I were president and why. I'm going to explain how it gets done, what I would do, how it gets done, and why. Let's not be silly. Nobody's going to elect me president. Nobody. But I started to say about, you know, Charlie and Marianne Strange and the Hill Groups and Sean and Angie and so many of the other volunteers there at the Michael Strange Foundation, all the Patriots, uh, Debbie Lee, tireless. America's Mighty Warriors, tireless. Her son, Mark Allen Lee, was the first Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. He was profiled in, in uh, American Sniper. Good friends with Chris Kyle. You people like Karen and Billy Vaughn. They're traveling around the country with Concerned Veterans for America. You know, they've put their entire life on hold, traveling around the country, fighting the good fight for our soldiers and families. Look, this is this is fact, folks. This is fact. And don't you just wish don't you just wish that the right thing would happen? Our government would do the right thing, that be smart with your money. But they're not. You know they're not. We've got some calls here. Let me take this one. If you're ignorant uh or anyway uh disrespectful, I'll can you and I'll block your number. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deal with that. So if you can't be respectful, you might as well hang up now because it won't go well for you. Welcome to the show. This is Dr. Sean. Who are you and where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Montana. Montana, the great state of Montana. Yes, it is. I got a question for you. Lay it on me. Let's let's say you're elected right after Obama for whatever reason. And you are now uh, faced with the dilemma that the Iran nuclear agreement is falling apart. You find out that the nuclear agenda of Iran is about five years ahead of time, maybe even eight years ahead of time. Um, you have advisors on the left saying, well, you should, you should allow Israel to bomb the uh, facilities. And you have advisors on the right telling you that, well, you've got to go make another agreement um, and follow up on Obama's uh, mistake. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what, um, I like your question, and I appreciate it. And first of all, you're from one of the greatest states in this country. Montana is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Um, some real smart, real independent people there. Uh, for me personally, what's your first name again? Joe. Joe. Uh, good to meet you, Joe. One of the first things, and, and this is not hyperbole either, uh, I, would, I would institute an independent council, first of all, uh, to investigate the entire Obama administration, um, I, I believe treason has regularly and systematically been committed by this uh, administration, starting from the president all the way down, secretary of state, well, I uh, IRS, that. all that stuff. All, all those, uh, for once, I don't turn my head and say, eh, you know, uh, you know, let's let bygones be bygones. No, they get prosecuted and they get punished. Um, and and I, I tell you who I would probably put in charge of that would be Trey Gowdy. But to your point, um, look, I, I, Israel has been in the crosshairs of the entire Muslim 
world. They're, the, they're a country the size of New Jersey. They have been in the crosshairs. They've been fighting this fight since since the beginning of their country. They've been fighting the fight for thousands of years. The thing thousands is of years. that you know that they are planning on bombing um, Iran's nuclear facilities. Now, let's say you haven't had the time to investigate a bomb, and I agree with you. I think all prior administrations have had their, uh, their sins, great sins. But the, the point I'm getting to is this. People want to be president. I wouldn't mind being president. I wouldn't even mind being what George Bush had said. Um, it'd be great if he was a dictator. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is that we do not know as Americans what it is to be president. It's a tough job. It's no doubt about it. It's a very tough job. We, we, they, the president, they have to face um, dilemmas 24 hours a day, dilemmas that we don't even know about. And it's not that, it's not that easy because I'm a libertarian, and I would like to say I would implement a lot of libertarian policies. But what about the mess that the other administrations have put us in, especially in foreign policy, and now an emergency pops up? So... Even though you know that you're not going to be elected president, uh, at least you're not running to be president. There were a couple of guys from BTR who were actually running. <laughs> but, Amazing. I mean, you can applaud their initiative. But the thing is, nobody knows what it's like to be president. Um, so that's why I posed the question to you. Yeah, I tell you, as far as, uh, and thank you so much for your call, Joe. I encourage you to call back again, tell your friends. I really appreciate it. As to your question, I, I can tell you this: um, you know, Israel has had to defend itself for so many years, and they've done so well. They've done so valiantly. Are, are there problems in Israel? Absolutely. Are there rogue groups? They're very small, and they are they are um, they're they're the exception, not the rule. But Israelis need they they should be allowed to live in peace. They should be allowed to live without fear, uh, constant fear of being bombed. Um, and, and listen, Iran, uh, uh, Bibi Netanyahu has already said this, and it's absolutely true. Listen, Iran doesn't want nuclear capability, nuclear weapons, in order to reach Israel. They already have that. They already have that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 they've got that capability. It, it's not about Israel. It is about America, folks. Iran has said, we will annihilate Israel and the West, starting with America, the great Satan. We will do this. Even during, the, the, uh, even during all the, the air quotes negotiation. And next week, I'm going to talk about this. Uh, I promise you, I'm absolutely going to talk about this. Uh, but they are absolutely, during the negotiation, they, they are, they're already, all ready having big demonstrations and all this death to America death to Israel you know and and many the imam even said um uh the the ayatollah even said hey i am absolutely absolutely in favor of nuking america nuking israel we want to annihilate them we want to drive the jewish pigs into this is what they call them into the sea. And they want to annihilate us. Folks, this is reality. This is you you can want a nicer reality, you want a softer reality, but that's not the reality we're living in, folks. 
It's not the reality. And I'm sorry, by the way, I didn't get to any of the commercials, but you know what? I wanted Chris to have the time to tell a story, and I wanted to be uh, reverent and respectful to him and his family and his story because let me tell you something, folks, very, very hard time. I hope that you derive some benefit out of that. I'm telling you Monday, Monday's show is going to – I'm going to talk about what I would do as president, but I would encourage – you know, Joe asked a very pointed question, and I'll answer it very pointed. Bomb them to glass. I would encourage Israel, and quite frankly, I would be with them. I wouldn't be so chicken to say, oh, well, Israel, go ahead. You do it, and that way we'll have plausible deniability. Not bad, bad Israel. No. We ought to be with them. We ought to be helping them. We ought to bomb Iran to to glass, bomb them to a parking lot. People say, how can you as a Christian say that? There's probably some really good people in Iran. You know what? Those really good people should overturn their awful, awful administration. Here's the slap in the face that comes right back at me. We should too. We should be overturning our awful, awful administration. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. Please, if you if you like what we do, I do it on my own dime. If you'd like to help support what we do, www.theninjapastor.com. There's a donate page, a little thing on there that says what I do. And uh, if you'd like to have me come speak to your group, uh, speak to your church, we'll go anywhere across the country. Um, We're glad to do it. Absolutely glad to do it. I love doing it. It's what I live to do. So I appreciate you joining us today. Please, while you're thinking of it, hit subscribe. Uh, That makes a big difference uh, to us and what we can do doesn't cost you anything. Nobody's bugging you. Nobody's spamming you. Uh, but it's just it's important for us in the radio business. I'm learning subscribers, followers, all that. That's important. But listen, I love my audience. Join us at our Kehala on Sunday. Uh, we're studying the book of James in a way you probably never have heard it taught before. And this is some of the best people. These are some of the best people you ever be with. It's my favorite group of all time. I love them. They are absolutely amazing. We have a great meal at 5 And then at 5.30 we go live. We're live on the radio, but you miss a lot when you're not there. Listen, thank you for tuning in. Tell your friends. Share this. Within three minutes after the show is done, you'll be able to share. Thank you and God bless. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the ninja pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drseangreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.